or as Dogen would put it, it's rooted in Uji, being time, our being at this place, at this time. And that's why we're spending these uh, a good number of weeks uh, looking at eco-dharma because it's a text that's rooted in, in this place, in this time. And arguably the most important uh, issue that we're faced with tied into the first noble truth of suffering and the cause, cause of suffering. So given the fact that this practice is a practice that's rooted in suffering, its causes, and how to uh, alleviate it once we understand the causes, you know, I think we have something to bring to the equation here when it comes to, to the matter of the environmental crisis. So he first talks about the personal piece to this, the, the drops that uh, Mother Teresa described. He says, personally, we must curb our consumerism and become more frugal in the use of resources, including energy kind of simplifying our lives. To, to be mindful of where our true happiness arises. What are the roots of, of the joy in our life? And it tends not to be from things that, uh, that we can attain through consumerism or through the use of resources. So there's that personal piece that we know and we help reinforce that with everybody by coming together and talking about this. But then collectively, and we're also doing that here, it's one of the principal reasons why uh, we took on this text. Otherwise, you know, I just would have suggested a, a book that you might want to look at and uh, let it go at that. And everybody could have sat at home and read it for themselves. But collectively, we need to dialogue, he says, with friends, neighbors, and our broader communities on the gravity of this situation which can lead to coordinated action. So we've, we've also been engaged in that. And, and uh, as part of that, we've had a couple of uh, speakers, Rannigan being one of them, to talk to us about uh, the plastic bank, which she's been involved with. And then we had invited John Sabin from from the Oberlin uh, Zen Sangha to, to join us uh, to talk about his involvement for, uh, I think it's been about three years now, with the Citizens Climate Lobby, who, which, which uh, that organization actually gets 
referenced uh, briefly by David Loy in this chapter too. So, uh, but I wanted to share with you uh, uh, a segment from the Loy text and uh, use that to kind of uh, set the stage for my going off the ranch. So first of all, uh, let me read this particular passage. Uh, of the three jewels, he says, it seems to me that Western Buddhists have a lot of Buddha, which uh, equates to teachers, and Dharma, teachings, but are often deficient in Sangha, communities. At Dharma centers, we listen to talks by teachers and perhaps meet one-on-one -on -one briefly with the teacher, but otherwise focus tends to be on group meditation in silence, with maybe a little informal conversation over tea at the end. That's not enough to develop the kind of community bonds that will be even more essential in the future. When more difficult times come, the most important thing will not be whatever food we may have stored in the basement, but whether we are a part of a loving community whose members are prepared to be there for each other. Western Buddhism hasn't focused on this because we still understand the path as the individual pursuit of individual awakening, which fits nicely, of course, into the individualism of modern Western culture, especially in the US. So just as a side note to that, I wasn't here, I think I was out of town or something at the time, and this is going back some years, uh, but I do recall that uh, there had been a, a speaker in town who gave a talk on a Sunday afternoon at the Church of Covenant. And he was a Catholic priest who also, uh, I think he was, he was a, a Buddhist uh, priest. Maybe I forget if his practice was Zen, but, uh, but he, he had uh, uh, one foot each in each of uh, the two camps of Catholicism and Buddhism. And uh, Wayne, of course, was there. Uh, so I, I got a pretty good thorough uh, accounting of, of his talk from, from him. And he commented about how Buddhism and Catholicism can, can, could really help each other because they can kind of help fill a gap that each of those traditions has. Uh, Catholicism has a gap in terms of contemplative practices. It's certainly part of their past, but, uh, but Buddhism uh, could, could be a helpful resource to them. Whereas Catholicism, on the other hand, has this sense of community engagement, of being able as an institution to bring people together to work in the community for causes of social justice, et cetera, et cetera which Buddhism uh, is still very much in the infancy with. Uh, I, 
when I reflect on this, I really believe that we're already, as, as a Zen Sangha, uh, positioning ourselves to be a significant force in the community in that way. I think once we do have space and determining the right type of space, uh, that's going to be part of, part of uh, what we look at is, is it space that will be conducive to community engagement? You know, but when I look at this, this Sangha and the things that we're already involved in, things like uh, uh, recovery dharma and uh, some, of, some of the things that Cindy has gotten us involved with at the food co-op, and, uh, and the uh, uh, collection drives of, of clothing and other items for the city mission around the holidays. And my uh, uh, weekly uh, meditation program at, uh, at Wyhaven. Uh, and, you know, I just see that continuing on and expanding further in terms of, uh, of our involvement. So I think we're laying groundwork for that, and that's really important. You know, I know I feel that way, and clearly, you know, so many members of the Sangha do as well. So we're still early on in the game with that, but, uh, but I, I think the, uh, the right intention is definitely in place and, and will continue to expand uh, in that arena. Uh, and it's this next part from the text that kind of triggered me to go off the ranch because I felt like it needed some more backfill. So that was my, my mission this afternoon was to provide that. He says, uh, structural or systemic work needed is to work toward more sustainable alternatives to the institutions that are responsible for the policies devastating the earth. And I, I mean, he's exactly right. Structural or systemic work is needed for, for the, the basic institutions of our society. We must replace uh, profligate political, social, and economic systems with new paradigms more conducive to human flourishing and to harmony between humanity and the earth. This involves political engagement, standing up to powerful interests that infiltrate the halls of power, putting pressure on our elected representatives. So after I'd gone through that, you know, I sat back and said, well, it's important to, to, to express that, but I, it just wasn't doing it for me. I needed more. I needed particulars. Let's get the shovels out and do some digging here and see what is really happening along those lines. Let's get to the nuts and the bolts of it. Because for me, I mean, the crux 
of of the environmental crisis is is the economic system that we operate in and the fact that greed is the driving force this is it until we find a way to work with that to to really change that that structure in some substantial ways uh, I don't think we hold much of a chance of, of addressing the climate. The only change that will come then will be when it's probably too late. It will be responding to a crisis like, like uh, COVID. I mean, we, we wait until uh, uh, the, the hospitals are filling up in certain parts of the country and then it gets our attention we go oh yeah not everybody's attention mind you but but some people enough to to start to move things along somewhat but uh we know where we rank in the world in terms of of of, uh, of addressing that and the climate is no different you know we're we're this, occupying the same position there relative to the rest of the world as we are with with the pandemic i mean the rest of the uh developed world is 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 addressing it the 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 paris accord you know everybody was was on board with that i mean back in 07 uh when bush was in office he was the the recalcitrant at that time. The rest of the world was, let's, let's go. And literally kind of shamed him into at least not, not standing in the way. He wasn't going to get on board, but, uh, but basically, I forget which country this leader was from, but I think it was a small African nation. Uh, basically said, you know, if, if you're not going to lead us, just get out of the way. That's all we ask. Get out of the way. We're 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 moving. Uh, so what I wanted to to talk about tonight is is how, <clears throat> and this is very germane with uh, with elections looming. Uh, barely uh, uh, just over three months from now. And the fact that they are important. Uh, back uh, on August 15th of 2018, Senator Elizabeth Warren introduced the Accountable Capitalism Act, legislation that would require corporations to consider the interests of all stakeholders within the firm, not only shareholders in company decisions. So she's been in the forefront of trying to restructure the way corporations are legally formed in this country that they're formed for one purpose, one primary purpose, and that's to maximize shareholder value. That's been a mantra for so long. Uh, but 
she has effectively been able to, to kind of work away at that. Obviously, her introducing this in, in the Senate, where the Republicans hold a majority, it wasn't going to get enacted. But that's okay. It had an impact. I just want to, uh, there was a lengthy piece about it uh, that, I, that I pulled uh, from, from online, uh, put out by uh, an organization called the Roosevelt Institute. And uh, there, there are a few more things relevant to that that I want to share with you uh, before I move on to the impact of, of what Warren was doing here. Uh, in a recent poll by Data for Progress, 52% of likely 2018 voters uh, supported establishing worker representation on companies' boards of directors. Another 25% were unsure. So 52% supported it, 25% uh, because it's kind of a radically new concept in the U.S. You know, they're going to need to think about this. They're, they're unsure. Uh, oh, but overall, employee governance had net positive support in 100% of states and congressional districts. So across the board, it's a concept that resonates for people. And in Europe, it's already, they've been doing it for, for a long, long time. Most European countries, it's, it's already built into their corp laws governing corporations that at least a third of the, uh, of the uh, members of the board have to be drawn from the employees, the workers. In Germany, that number is 50%. So this isn't, you know, like a, a radically new concept. And it works extremely well for them. There isn't a movement afoot there to try to eliminate it's actually good business too. That's the crazy thing. What we're not talking about, uh, you know, storming the Bastille here and trying to overthrow the system. We're trying to make the system work better for everybody, including the owners of the company. So the way that corporations are run today according to a neoliberal model of shareholder primacy governed by the laws of a single state. That's an important point, especially germane to, uh, to our upcoming election as well. Just something to keep in mind uh, that you know, corporations are domiciled in a state. They, they become incorporated in a state and there are 50 different laws about how corporations are structured and governed because each state has a different law. When Crooked River Zen Center uh, was established uh, some years ago, 
you know, we filed uh, our app, our incorporation papers with the Secretary of State in Columbus. And if we had been setting up a, a big uh, uh, for-profit corporation with aspirations to break into the Fortune 500, it would have been the same thing. We, we might have uh, uh, wanted to, to incorporate in the state of Delaware, which is why you know, it's relevant to, to, to the upcoming election. Just something to keep in mind. The reason why, uh, why Biden is, is essentially, I, I refer to him as a moderate Republican, because, of course, he is formerly the senator from Delaware. And I forget how many... What percentage of the corporations are, oh, it's nearly two thirds of the Fortune 500 corporations are headquartered in Delaware because they are just the best, the best uh, state for, for being incorporated out of. So obviously he's not gonna be Elizabeth Warren and be from, from Delaware. It just doesn't track so except that yeah <laughs> there's uh there's indra's net and there's the delaware net in <laughs> the interdependent web <laughs> but so we've got all of these different and all of these different laws governing corporations and how they're run and Delaware, because they're, we'll call them the bottom of the barrel, but they kind of set the bar for all the other states. The other states are not going to be too much tougher than Delaware, because if they are, they run the risk of having all their corporate uh, uh, customers uh, moving to Delaware, or at least some, some other place. So Delaware keeps the whole playing field at a much lower level that way. Uh, and, you know, these laws are very clear about what, what uh, corporations exist to do. They are in service to the shareholders. And, and just as an example of the impact that can have, shareholder primacy explains why in 2018, the year this was written, while profits boom, corporations are spending $1 trillion on stock buybacks, while real wages for average workers actually declined by a very small percent. Uh, because they're, they're acting in accord with their corporate charter. They are maximizing shareholder value. And you don't do that by, by investing in a cleaner environment. You don't do it by paying your workers more. So this is the reality. So when Elizabeth Warren Puts, puts together a piece of legislation that's saying actually all these other stakeholders, including environmental interests, employee interests, and so on and so forth, community interests, 
So if a corporation is going to, uh, to shut down a plant in a town, they're, they, they're stakeholders for sure. So it just makes sense from a societal standpoint, but we've built an economic system around the corporation and the way corporate law governs and, and exists for ba basically the sole purpose of uh, maximizing shareholder value, which puts it immediately at odds with social values. Hence the collective dukkha that David Loy is talking about in his text. So what was the upside of Elizabeth Warren's action? Well, I mean, it's, the movement is afoot and it's very much afoot in 2020 to move in this direction. And the corporate world sees it. They understand it. So, I mean, they're not going to go along willingly, but they're, they're starting to open themselves up to it and, and at least putting, putting forth a, a good show of, of being, having some interest in it. Uh, it was a year ago that uh, a group of uh, chief executives of some of the uh, largest corporations in the country uh, called the Business Roundtable. They actually, uh, during their annual meeting, they came out with a, with, uh, a document, a one-page document that they titled Statement on the Pur Purpose of a Corporation. And it was kind of like their response to Elizabeth Warren, trying to take her concerns into account to at least make it look. Now, only time will tell, you know, how much, how serious they are about this. But uh, all of a sudden, they were expanding their worldview beyond just shareholder value. I remember uh, Jack Welch, uh, the, uh, the former head of GE, who was this management guru who was all over this, you know, shareholder value, shareholder value. And he came out saying he was, it was kind of like uh, a Greenspan moment, the former uh, uh, chairman of the, of the Fed, who after the, the big recession of 08 came out and said, oh, yeah, we... We really uh, blew it, didn't we? As <laughs> kind of his uh, mea culpa. Well, Jack Welch did something very similar. Yeah, that, that shareholder value thing. I mean, what a stupid idea that was. <laughs> Again, you know, we'll find out as time goes on. But they're they're at least talking the same kind of language. Uh, just to quote briefly from from uh, this statement that they crafted, while each of our individual companies serves its own corporate purpose, we share a fundamental commitment to all of our stakeholders. All of a sudden they're using uh, 
that language. It's not shareholders, it's stakeholders. Uh, we commit to delivering value to our customers, uh, investing in our employees. This starts with compensating them fairly and providing important benefits, dealing fairly and ethically with our suppliers. We are dedicated to serving as good partners to the other companies, large and small, that help us meet our missions, supporting the communities in which we work. We respect the people in our communities and protect the environment by embracing sustainable practices across our businesses. And then lastly, generating long-term value for shareholders. So shareholders are certainly inserted, but it's interesting that they phrase it in terms of long-term value as opposed to the quarterly results that are the, the principal driver in today's business world. So it really, and among the, the signa, uh, signatories here, just going through the A's uh, of, of the corporate names, you know, uh, Amazon, Jeff Bezos was there, American Airlines, American Express, uh, Anthem, the health insurer, Apple, Tim Cook was there, uh, AT&T, yeah. Walmart was there, their, their CEO. So, I mean, this, is, this isn't uh, some, some off the wall group of, of executives, they really are you know, the driving force of the American economy came together and put out a document like that. So the things that are afoot has got their attention and it can actually happen. There's a lot of attention being given to it, as I discovered uh, just by spending an hour or two online this afternoon. Uh, just give you one example uh, before I, I move off of this. Uh, there's, there's an operation called B, B as in boy. Actually, B for benefit is, is where the B comes from. Uh, B Lab is a nonprofit organization that was founded in 2006 in uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, B Lab uh, created and awards the B Corporation certification for for for-profit organizations. The B stands for beneficial and indicates that the certified organizations voluntarily meet certain standards of transparency, accountability, sustainability, and performance with an aim to create value for society, not just for traditional stakeholders, such as the shareholders. Uh, a couple of the corporations they have so certified are uh, Patagonia and for uh, for beer drinkers, uh, New Belgium Brewery out in uh, Colorado. So I, I'll, I'll feel better now when I buy their beers. 
<laughs> but you know, there, there is, this is just one example of the way things, uh, industries that build up around this movement. And it's still early on, you know, it's, it's certainly uh, uh, not to a point where we can kick back and say, well, you know, mission accomplished. But in terms of addressing what I needed to after reading, you know, what Loy was talking about in terms of uh, the systemic change that needs to take place, and I tend to be skeptical about it. So I'm reading it going, yeah, but boy, I don't know. It, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but there really is a lot going on. And uh, if things can, can break in a positive way in November, I think you know, it's going to move this even further along and uh just staying after it staying after it uh i th i think uh even with biden's delaware roots you know he's going to be under an awful lot of pressure uh and he's at least kind of like the business roundtable he's at least saying the right things for now so we'll see we'll see but uh but the movement is afoot he knows it the uh, the CEOs of the major corporations in the U.S. know it. So again, it's this drop after drop after drop, and those drops are having an impact on the, on the greater stage. They really are, and we just need to stay on top of it, stay after it. And the next most important thing we can do is uh, is work on the election in November, and that kind of sets the stage for the next two to four years at a minimum, and hopefully for quite some stretch of time to come. So that's my, my message of hope here tonight uh, in terms of uh, what uh, the, the answer to the question of uh, what shall we do. Uh, be ready for November and, and the various roles that we can play to, to have an impact, certainly our own vote, but uh, even beyond that as well. Because that will really, uh, hmm. that, we are at a point where, where we can start to, to affect some significant change. It's starting to move in that direction. Because I know it can often feel like it's not, but uh, but there, yeah, there is hope. There is hope. But it'll require a lot of uh, persistent effort. So, turn it over to to you for for your comments. Brannigan? Okay, there you okay. Go. Um, thank you for this talk. I think it's really helpful and, and just really 
fits in so well with ecodharma. And I'm glad um, you mentioned um, working toward the election. And because of um, been involved with the social justice you're fading out i can't can you hear me now now i can yeah okay um federated church in chagrin falls has a social justice committee mm -hmm. and i attend their meetings and right now they're working on voting and two um one thing that i think is so easy to do uh, and you don't have to leave your home is it's called um, vote voteforward.org and you sign up to um they provide the letter itself but you register and once you're registered you can choose either to write five letters or 20 letters or 40 letters mm -hmm. and it's all done digitally they send you the letters to print out and all you have to write on it is a note encouraging people to vote let's say it's john smith john smith dear john smith so you write his name you write dear john and then there's a space where you tell him why you think voting is important and then at the end you sign your name and then his address is at the bottom of the letter so you have to buy envelopes and you have to buy the postage okay. and all these letters are supposed to be sent on um october 27th so that okay. people get them right before the election yeah. now part of that also there's another part of it where people and i haven't done this i've done the letters you actually choose which state and then they pull a bunch of people and that's all you have to do for it but it's really important because the voters they're choosing are are usually people that haven't voted in a while okay yeah. so um it the um in these letters it doesn't say vote for biden even it's not right. partisan yeah. but it's trying to get people to vote and the people they're targeting are obviously people that would vote for Biden. Right. Um, so that's, I just wanted to tell everybody about that because it's, it's a, a really cool thing. Okay. Thanks. And I'll uh, make mention of it in my email uh, next Monday too. Yeah. Voteforward.org. Okay. Well, I'll certainly be signing up. So. <laughs> You've recruited one at a minimum. Oh, great. <laughs> and I suspect more. Yeah. There's another organization called Mobilize the Vote. And you can go on their website and um, sign up to do call the, what they've been concentrating on is getting people to register. Ah. Um, and they it's all really organized they train you they give you a script it goes on for two hours and at the end there's and maybe there's 10 or 12 people in the group and you all make your calls online and then you come come back and um mention it out of i think in two hours i've done it three times and in two hours you make about 40 calls and they give you all the phone numbers online and then at the end, um, out of 40 calls, I reached four people. 
But those four people were not realizing how important it is to do mail-in um, voting. And they target, um, if, for example, in Cleveland, they're, they're targeting um, areas where the vote turnout has been low. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. You know, I read a, um, a article on, uh, it was online, but it was by an economist, I think Steve Denning. Um, it was several years ago that he wrote it, but anyway, he, he, he the title of his article is, uh, uh, I just brought it up two minutes ago. Uh, I think it's called um, Making Sense of Shareholder Value, the World's Dumbest Idea. But anyway, he, he, he goes into talking about, and he's, you know, he's a, you know, sophisticated economist. He's not some radical type person at all. And he talks, talks about Martin Friedman, um, Milton Friedman, and the Chicago Four, and and how the studies and actually research since then and has shown that that does not make a healthy company. It doesn't make healthy companies. It isn't the best thing to do. And he he even says he even cites Milton Friedman's body of work over the years, and that. Milton Friedman himself, you, when, you, when he's talking about this and he's talking about it, it's extremely contradictory because, cause, well, because when you start making a lie, of course, you have to be contradictory. But anyway, it's a, it's a really good article. Um, and he's just talking from a very business um, point of view. Right. Um, the Den Denny, Denny, this Denny is. And, and he, he says it's not, it's not even good from that point of view. And it's, um, That's why I think there's hope, because it really does make sense from their standpoint as well. So we have a way to, uh, to, uh, to get them to listen and take it, take it seriously, the message. It actually, uh, I mean, and having been in business myself, it, it was my model. And, and I read this in, uh, in what I was going through this afternoon. If you, rather than, than uh, being focused on what your bottom line is, how much money is coming in, if your focus is just taking care of everybody that's involved in the organization, inside and out. Just that whole, that, that's what made it interesting for me, was having all these different uh, uh, aspects of involvement that, uh, uh, that you're working to, to, to care for, rather than just, you know, what uh, short-term profits just taking care of the whole thing. And if you do that, the, the bottom line will take care of itself. 
you, you, rather than if you're focusing on the bottom line and that's where where all your attention is going then that's where the whole thing starts to come apart because you're not paying attention to the things that are really at the heart of your operation so i mean it's you can talk explain it to people that from the standpoint of, of business management, they get it. It makes sense. It's not, you know, some radical Marxist thing. It's, it's actually, <laughs> yeah, you know, I can see that. <laughs> well, and it's actually letting yourself be jerked around by every immediate situation rather than the bigger picture. Amen. And, and it's, it's actually, it's insane. Yeah. Um, that's one of my favorite words you've probably noticed. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of it around. <laughs> so that's, that's the Buddhist piece to it, the sense of just valuing each and every being, each piece to the thing, taking care of it. And that's, yeah, that if, if you do that, uh, things will go well. Yeah, I think the one side in this never works. I mean, even if you take like, oh, the customer is the most important element. Well, that doesn't work either. Because there has to be the dignity of the the people who are supplying the service and the respect for that, and uh, sometimes the customers' demands are not good for the environment. They're not good for, and and so it ha it has to be a whole picture. It just has exactly. to be. Oh yeah. I mean, we can all uh, take these Buddhist principles and go off and uh, become professors in uh, business school. See, they, they work. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> mm -hmm. we, need, we need Milton replaced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think his day in the limelight uh, is, has been passed for a while. His personal. Well, limelight. yeah. And, uh, unfortunately, yeah. his legacy is still, is still his with us. His legacy is pretty, pretty much toast, too, I think. I hope you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're right. I'll comment real quickly. I think that uh, hopefully this, if anything good came out of the pandemic, it's the people um, realizing there's more to life than just work and having time with their family. And, and I think about my company who's only focused on shareholder, but still everyone in, in Europe and Belgium has the entire month of August off. Uh, all, you know, there are no midnight shifts. Um, there's rarely even a second shift over there, you know, and, and then 
then people have less. Um, they're not as materialistically driven as we are, I don't think, as Americans are. But uh, hopefully that all, that all could shift by people staying home, having limited income, losing some income, and just seeing, hey, you know what, I can have time with my family and I have a better quality of life making less money and working less. Um, right. There's another thing my company does that popped into mind is they every year, once or twice a year, they say it's mandatory that you take 50% of your vacation. Mm-hmm. And then when they first did it, some people got lawyers and it got all this, but it's to free up cash throw, cash flow. So the numbers look better. I don't totally understand it. Dean, you probably understand it better than I do. Oh, yeah. All I know is yeah, every year they tell me to take half my vacation. I think that's my vacation. I earned it. I don't want to take vacation right now. Right. So. Um, but if you don't take it, it's a liability on yeah. their books. That's right. that's where the issue enters. Yeah. yeah. But it's just, so yeah, so I'm hoping, hopefully that people will make do with less after this pandemic because they're realizing they can <laughs> and enjoy families and outdoors and things more than work, more than a, a, a new house or a newer car or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> and one other thing that's that's uh, arisen as a result of this is, uh, and this is uh, both Democrats and Republicans have uh, have come together in terms of uh, willingness to to provide massive amounts of money to support people who are out of work. So it's kind of, I, I really get a sense that maybe it's starting to, to shift uh, consciousness or, uh, around that issue because uh, there had been in the past kind of people that were dug in about not liking to do that. And you still have Republicans dug in about the, uh, the $600 weekly add-on, uh, but, you know, Bless their hearts. Even there, they are still. Uh, they just think that's overly generous. But they're still, you know, when you think to where we were pre-pandemic times, the fact that they would uh, sign off on uh, it seems like seventy percent of of, uh, of your uh, uh, previous wages uh, that would have been unthinkable. Uh, that they would have been that generous. No way. Whatever the the standard was, and I think the, the standard in most states is some some something under half. Uh, they would have said, you know, that's that's enough. We, we don't want to make, make them comfortable. We just want to give them bare uh, uh, subsistence wages, and and uh, they seem to be there's there's some movement there. Uh, in terms of uh, willingness to uh, to be a bit more responsive, so yeah, I don't. Maybe maybe I'm overly optimistic, but I, it's it's just inch by inch, drop by drop, and and seeing that that things are are moving along because down the road at some point I do see uh, where uh, this this country. Uh, uh, won't be in the forefront, but we'll be facing this matter about providing a, a base level of income. Uh, 
first of all, I guess we need to address things like uh, medical insurance, catch up with the rest of the world first. And then, but yeah, the, the rest of the world's already having serious talks about that. And I think the general direction of, of the economy, and it's tied into eco-dharma as well, because eco-dharma is about being able without having the workforce against uh, environmental issues because they feel their, their livelihood is threatened. That's what, what makes it a very important issue from the environmental standpoint is to be able to guarantee people uh, a livable income, regardless of what happens on the job front. Uh, would make it a lot, uh, there'd be more political energy then behind uh, uh, protecting the environment. I mean, how many of the, uh, the Trump voters in 2016 were, you know, blue collar uh, workers whose who already had lost jobs or were very fearful of losing jobs? And, uh, and not having anything to fall back on. So the fact that Trump was against the environmental causes actually helped enhance his standing in their eyes because he could portray himself as looking out for their interests. But if you take that issue away by guaranteeing them an income, uh, you know, Trump wouldn't have been elected, no question, in my mind. He, he, he would have lost so many of those blue collar votes that were only there because of their economic insecurities, which were just justified, very understandable. I'd feel the same way if I was in their shoes. Even if, you know, what he's telling people is a lie to go into West Virginia that coal's coming back, you know, obviously we can sit back and go, ha, 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 sure, who's going to buy that? But, but it's, it's telling them what, what makes them feel good, more secure. It's the psychological impact, very understandable. And probably next week we'll talk uh, a bit more about uh, about this notion of, of truthfulness because it really is <laughs> obviously the past uh, three and a half years have put it to the ultimate test, but but it's been an issue for a very long time. It's just now uh, reached. Uh, kind of a hyper state but uh, so in terms of morale moral practice i think this is the one precept that uh, that's the most threatened is this precept about uh right speech truthful speech sincere speech that it's it's uh an endangered species too. So, 
definitely want to make sure we spend some time with that. Loy does, so that'll be another segment of a talk where some of it's rooted in Loy and some of it'll be a bit off the ranch, but uh, but that's okay. <laughs> I just had one comment about um, uh, this section, page 159, where it um, goes into details regarding the divine abodes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, might be jumping ahead, but I really like this chapter a lot, and especially that section. Mm -hmm. And um, while I was reading this chapter this week, I thought about especially that section, I just thought, you know, I think I'm going to read these three or four pages every day up until the election. Yeah, that's good practice. <laughs> I like on the election, but I mean, just because they're really, um, I think a lot of people, myself included, can so easily get so frustrated with and, and overwhelmed with the politics and the um, all of the problems and the climate and I think so many people just check out they tune out because they just feel like what you know like um the opposite of what mother Teresa um thought right. about and how at least you know this where he, he goes into details um on the Metasuda practice and how you know he gave like details on uh, the the gratitude practice and um, compassion and so just I don't know just just reading this just reminds me to really stay in that mindset mm -hmm. because it could be so easy to um, fall off the rails. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've really come to the, the view as a result of, of uh, working with this that, uh, of course, following Dogen, we, we make Z the practice of Zazen meditation the, the foundation of the practice. But uh, I'm starting to think, you know, maybe uh, uh, there's, there's uh, uh, at least it's, it's calling out to me this sense of making uh, virtuous action, uh, the moral piece of, of the practice, kind of elevating that to, to centrality. Uh, you know, uh, one of these days I've already toyed around with uh, putting together a talk or a series of talks, kind of uh, taking off on Dogen in a way. Uh, he has his uh, Fukan Zazengi, which is the, his universal recommendation for the practice of Zazen, uh, to come out with Fukan Kaigi, Kai being precepts, Jukai. Uh, universal recommendation for the practice of precepts, uh, but not limited just to Buddhism. This is about virtuous action across all traditions, including, you know, non-religious, you know, the, 
the uh, agnostics, atheists, secular humanists, everybody. This speaks to everybody. This sense of of ethics, responsibility for our actions. That uh, that we can make that you know foundational, and it's a way of bringing uh, people together across different borders. So that's just something that's floating around in in my brain. And, uh, but I, but I think yeah, what you're I, I'm glad to hear that that section of the chapter uh, struck a chord for you too. It certainly does for me, and I think the the centrality of of uh, of our caring for others, a virtuous practice, uh, just can't be emphasized enough. Yeah, and then. Plus, I think it gives people the, um, I don't know, the motivation or the energy to, to you know, do things like, um, you know, what Rannigan was talking about. Right. And I know um, I want to, I want to go out and buy like 100,000 stamps and <laughs> pass them out <laughs> i don't want to i want to like go downtown to public square or something and like give people stamps and say you know please vote and here yeah. here's a stamp to go with you <laughs> and the post office could use the money they would appreciate it <laughs> i mean a lot of people don't even know how to, how or where to buy stamps I know. I know. <laughs> those are young people. <laughs> Stamps, what are those? <laughs> Mail, what is that? <laughs> <sighs> Well, anything else, or are we ready to close out? Yeah, I, I'm. Um, I had a problem with pulling up the uh, out oh. on my screen, so I think we're going to have to resort to um, the traditional. Okay. Uh, let me. We don't have to resort to that because it's Appendix Four in David Loy's book. So, oh, okay. Um, I, I've got it open. Here we go. Uh, I'll have the book I'm holding rather than my hands in gosh. So you'll what forgive page, me what for page that. Is it on? It's on page one I vow to myself and to each of you to commit myself daily to the healing of our world and the welfare of all beings, to live on earth more lightly and less violently in the food, products, and energy I consume, to draw strength and guidance from the living earth 
the ancestors, the future generations, and my brothers and sisters of all species to support others in our work for the world and to ask for help when I need it to pursue a daily practice that clarifies my mind, strengthens my heart, and supports me in observing these vows. All right, well, thanks for sharing your evening with us and uh, wish you all a good night, a nice weekend, and some of you, I guess I'll see Sunday morning.